Father, may we glean wisdom from your word. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and, and move us, teach us, help us understand what, what's being communicated today. Jesus, we believe. We believe that you are our Savior, that you are our Redeemer. Hmm. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> A long, long time ago, you see, the God of this universe, the one true God, he showed up and he started talking to this people group. Now, this people group was his people group. We call them the Israelites. Now, this people group had a leader named Moses. And God showed up and started talking to them. And he made a promise, a, a sort of a covenant with them. And he said, listen, if you obey my commandments, if you follow me, I will, I will dwell amongst you and live with you, and you will be blessed. But... If you choose not to follow me, if you choose not to follow my commandments, then I will leave you and you will be cursed. The Israelites and Moses for a long, long time followed the commandments and they, they followed the Lord, the one true God, with all of their hearts, souls, minds, and strengths. And God blessed them. He gave them land and power. He gave them great leaders like, like the prophet Samuel. He gave them great leaders like Gideon and Samson, military juggernauts. He gave them a king that, that united everyone together, King David. And then he gave a ton of wisdom to King David's son, Solomon. God continued to bless them. And, and the Israelites built this, this temple, this beautiful temple. It's, it stands today, actually, in Jerusalem still. You can get on a plane, seriously, and, and you can go see it. But what was interesting is that this people group had this covenant, this promise with the one true God. And slowly but surely, they started to, to not follow God's commandments, especially the first two. You know, no, no other gods before me and, and don't have any idols. And it kind of relates a lot to me today because I, I worship a lot of things like sports and in like finances and job security and, and family over God. I can relate to that. And, and the idols thing, I mean, I love cars and I love things. I mean, even these things right here, I mean, we can see these as being idols because I spend more time looking at this than I do building relationships and loving on people and, and praying and worshiping God. I can relate to these Israelites. I mean, all of us have ups and all of us have downs, but... But the Israelite people just continue down this downward slope. But, but you see, the one true God is a God of grace and a God of love. And he said, no, I, you're my people and this is our, our covenant. If you follow me, I will bless you. But if you don't, you will be cursed. But I love you. So he sent, he sent more prophets. Now at this time, the Israelites kind of were scattered. And they separated into two, two kingdoms, the north and the south. And God sent these two prophets, Elijah and Elijah. These were great prophets, and they helped steer the kings and the Israelites back towards God, helped remove these idols and these other false gods. And in the south, God sent other great prophets there, too. He sent prophets like Micah, Jeremiah, and Isaiah, 
all with the hopes to help steer the Israelite people back to the one true God. But they continued to worship false gods and they continued to worship idols. Even though God is a God of love and a God of, of grace, he's also a God of his word. God sent this prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a great prophet, a little strange at times. There's this one story of Ezekiel laying on the ground with his face down for like 100 plus days. Kind of strange, but definitely was anointed by God. Ezekiel saw visions a lot. And this one vision that Ezekiel saw, after Ezekiel was done preaching and teaching to the, every, all the Israelites, we need to follow the one true God. He saw this. Then the glory of the Lord moved out from the entrance of the temple and hovered over the cherubim. You see, this whole time for hundreds of years, God was dwelling within the tabernacle. And then once Solomon built the temple, he was dwelling within the temple, empowering them. But finally, our God, the one true God, was the, a God of his word. And the people chose. The people chose not to follow him, but to follow their own will. The people chose not to worship him. They chose to worship their own things. And then there was the prophet Ezekiel. Good old Ezekiel. Then the glory of the Lord moved out from the entrance of the temple and hovered above the cherubim. And as I watched, the cherubim flew with their wheels to the east gate of the Lord's temple. And the glory of God of Israel hovered above them. Ezekiel goes on to talk about how his vision of seeing God leave the temple and how then God ascended into heaven, leaving the Israelites. At this same time, there was a northern empire called the Babylonians. That word's just fun to say sometimes, Babylonians. Now the Babylonians, they weren't a fun people though. They were a people that were looking to conquer and spread the wealth of their empire, just like most people of this time period. Now the Israelites didn't have the protection of God anymore, and so the Babylonians at the same time when Ezekiel was a prophet came down and they removed all the Israelites from Jerusalem or Israel, and they exiled them. I mean, I couldn't even fathom this, like if you were sitting at home one day and a people just came knocking at your door and pulled you out of your house and said, you're gone. And for 50 years, the Israelites could not come back to their home, Jerusalem, Israel, where they could worship the God at the temple. For 50 years, they were confused and lost. Like, God, why did you abandon us? We're, we're so confused. What's going on? And then God said, I'm going to send another prophet. And he sent Zechariah. It was almost 100 years after they were exiled from the Babylonians. And Zechariah shows up with great hope, great promise. Zechariah says, hey, we have to understand something. This kingdom that was built of men, by men, through men, isn't sustainable. It can never sustain because there's always a someone that's stronger, bigger. But I'm telling you that there will be a kingdom, a kingdom of God, by God, and through God. And this kingdom can't be destroyed. At the time, it was kind of confusing for the Israelites. But then he said, don't worry. The kingdom of God 
will come and there will be a king who ushers in the kingdom of God. And this is how he's going to do it. And Zechariah says this, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Zion is the region. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. 500 years. 500 years the Israelites waited. 500 years. Not much from God in those 500 years. Right after Zechariah, Malachi the prophet came and spoke a little bit about this coming king as well. But for almost 500 exact years, the Israelites were waiting for this king to come ushering in the kingdom of God. And finally, finally, breakthrough. This man shows up. His name's John. Some of us know him as John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, he didn't perform any great miracles. He didn't walk on water. He didn't turn water to wine. He didn't do anything like that. But what he did is he had a message, and his message was simple. The kingdom of God is coming, y'all. It is coming. Some of the people were so anxious and wanted breakthrough so bad that they started believing that John the Baptist was actually the Messiah. And John, in this, in this part of uh, Scripture, John says it's everyone who was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. John answered their question by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave or untie the straps of his sandals, y'all. <laughs> he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This someone is Jesus. Jesus shows up very shortly after this. And then Jesus begins his ministry. The whole goal of Jesus, you see, the whole theme of the Gospels is to usher in the kingdom of God. That's the theme of the Gospels. That was Jesus' whole purpose, was to usher in this new kingdom. And one of the ways he did that is amazing. You see, he was bold and followed the Father's will. He was bold and followed the Father's will. Let me give you some examples about how Jesus ushered in this kingdom and was so bold and followed the Father's will. From the very beginning, Jesus steps out about the age of 30, what I used to be a few years ago. He steps out and he has this important message, the gospel message. The message that's allowing people to understand that the kingdom of God is here. Now, if I were Jesus, I would have probably went to the scholars, those who are highly intelligent. I have such an important message to give the world. I want those who can articulate and communicate this message. I want them to be good at it. I want the scholars, the smart people. But Jesus doesn't choose them. Jesus goes to the side of the Lake of Galilee and he sees some young men, not even men, young men. And we know that these young men are young men because they were removed from their schooling, 
not too long prior. They weren't the good enoughs. They couldn't finish school. But God saw something in them. These were young fishermen. Now, fishermen are smart men. They work hard. They work long hours. And Jesus saw something in them. He believed in them. He was bold to take a chance on these young men to carry the most important message the world has ever heard. He had faith in the Father's will to say, you know what, these young men are going to carry on the most important message, the gospel message for all of eternity because I'm going to be leaving shortly. You see, Jesus was bold from the very beginning and believed in the Father's will. He didn't stop there, though. Jesus does something real radical. Jesus was bold in this message because, you see, this message was always for the Israelites, God's chosen people. But Jesus, he said, no more. I'm going to break down this cultural barrier. I'm going I'm to break down this ethnic barrier. Because you know what? This message, the kingdom of God, it's not just for a chosen people. It's for everyone. It doesn't matter what color your skin is or what gender you are or what you believe. This message is for everyone. And Jesus does something extremely radical. You see, he's on the way to Galilee from Judea. He's with his disciples, and he just starts his ministry out. And they come into this town called Samaria. And you have to understand a little bit here. Jesus was a Jew. He was an Israelite. Now, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. Sometimes I help understand this passage because we can look at the civil rights movement, maybe between the, the fight between the African Americans and the whites in the 50s and the 60s. The Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. They hated everything about each other. And Jesus walks right into their home area. He walks right into the middle of their area where the well was in the afternoon. And he sits down. And he takes a seat. And he tells his disciples to go into town and get supplies. And he's sitting there. And then a woman shows up. Now, it's not normal for a woman to show up in the middle of the afternoon. You see, normally during this time, because it gets so hot because it's the desert, women would come early in the morning, and it was actually like a social event in this cultural time period. And women would talk about women things. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a woman, you know? Sure, like, my husband's doing this, and my husband's doing that, and my children are running here, and my children are running there. I don't know. But they were talking woman stuff, and they already left. But it was a cultural thing where women would gather in the morning and get water for the day. And then Jesus is sitting there all by himself after he excuses his disciples. And a woman shows up with a pail and a string. And Jesus knows immediately. She's there because she's shamed. She's there because she's known by multiple men within the community. She's there because the other women really don't want anything to do with her. And Jesus says, please give me a drink. What's found within the text is actually amazing. Jesus starts a conversation with someone that he shouldn't have been starting a conversation with. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? 
And besides, you think you're greater than our ancestors Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals ever enjoyed? At this minute, Jesus does something. At this moment, Jesus does something extremely unusual. He's having a conversation first with a woman. Wasn't normal during this, this time period. Second, he's having a conversation with a woman who's not liked. Third, he's having a conversation with a woman who's a Samaritan. You see, Jesus is ushering in the kingdom of God for everyone. And the breakthrough is amazing. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. And I'm sure he was pointing to the well. But those who drink the water I give you, give you will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. You see, Jesus is stepping out and being bold and following the Father's will by speaking to this Samaritan woman. He then addresses how she has multiple husbands, multiple male friends, and he still shows love and grace upon her. She's blown away that this man's even talking. A rabbi talked to me, let alone a Jew. This is crazy. And then they start talking about who Jesus is. And this is what's so fantastic. The first time Jesus declares that he is the Messiah, the Christ. You see, because the king that comes to usher in the kingdom of God, over those 500 years, the Jews, the Israelites started to say, it's going to be the Messiah, the Christ. They came up with this term, the one who saves us. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. The first time Jesus declares that he's the Messiah, he declares it to a Samaritan woman. That's huge. Jesus was bold and followed the Father's will, and it didn't stop there, y'all. Then Jesus continues on his journey, healing the lame, feeding thousands in need, witnessing to people and teaching in synagogues, call, and claiming to be God and, and Christ and Messiah to multiple people, all bold actions. And this is what's so interesting. His boldness is huge because preaching and teaching these things and the actions that he had when he went home to Nazareth, his home people rejected him. This is something that's extremely profound. Family, friends. I mean, we're not talking a huge community of hundreds of thousands of people. We're talking a small, small community of a few thousand people. All know who Jesus is. And they reject him. He was rejected by his own people. But you see, Jesus understood the will of his father. Jesus understood that it's time to usher in the kingdom of God. And he was bold about it. It doesn't just stop there, though. Jesus continues to do amazing things all throughout scriptures. And one of the best things that, one of the most amazing bold acts that he does is one time he was teaching in the temple. He's teaching there for a few days and and it's hard to get up in front of people and teach. 
let alone people who disagree with you. And he's up in front of people teaching, and all of a sudden someone comes into the temple and says, Jesus, Jesus, your friend Lazarus, he's sick. He needs you now. And Jesus is confused because it's his time to be teaching in the temple. He needs to be proclaiming that the kingdom of God is here and now. That's the will of the Father. But his friend Lazarus, his good friend, is sick. And he says, you know what? I need to be bold. I believe that Lazarus will be okay. I'm going to stay here and continue. So he stayed for two more days. And then after those two days of teaching, he left the temple and he goes to the place called Bethany where Lazarus was. And he shows up to a scene that none of us ever want to show up to. He shows up to basically a funeral. You know, just a few weeks ago, there was a funeral in this room right here. I think a lot of us understand the heaviness that comes with that. Grown men crying. Parents screaming to, to God, why? People who haven't slept for days. Confusion. Funerals sometimes are extremely difficult. And Jesus shows up. He's greeted by Martha and Mary, his friends, Lazarus's brother. And they're upset and they're confused. Jesus, why didn't you come? You, you could have saved him. We know, we believe, we've seen you heal people. Why didn't you come? And Jesus is standing there and, and he starts to weep and he starts to cry for his friend Lazarus. And Jesus at this one moment knows and recognizes if he's about to do what he thinks he's going to do, he knows it's going to start this train that's not going to be stopped. You see, if he raises Lazarus from the dead, he knows there's so many people there that he will be killed for it. So many people there are going to say he is the God. The Romans didn't put up with that during this time period. There's only one God, and that God was Caesar. You see, if Jesus saw, was seen doing this type of a miracle, people would go crazy. They would believe. And Jesus is standing at the tomb of his friend and has a decision to make. You see, he recognizes that it's time. It's time for this train to start moving. The train that can't be stopped. The ushering in of the kingdom of God is going to happen. And Jesus tells everyone, don't worry, let me glorify God real quick. He says, move back the stone, move back the stone. People are like, no, Jesus, no, stop, stop. Like, we believe you can heal the sick, but he's been dead for four days. Jesus, his body is, is probably, Jesus, it's, it's been four days. Jesus says, move back the stone. So some strong men go over to the stone and they roll back a large stone with an opening that's probably smaller than this. Could you imagine the crowd? Could you imagine? What is this guy doing? Some of them have heard of him, maybe healing the blind and, and giving those who can't walk the ability to walk again. But who, what is he doing? And then all of a sudden, Jesus, he shouted, Lazarus, come out. And slowly, surely, a confused, weak, 
tired man named Lazarus puts his arm on the, temp the tomb and slowly comes out, probably blocking his eyes from the sun, confused. What is going on? And Jesus says, remove those wraps. What's interesting is the reaction that happens after. This spread like wildfire. There's accounts in the Bible and outside of the Bible about people going crazy about this one miracle. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, he raised a man from the dead. And it actually put Lazarus in trouble, the text says. Lazarus' life was actually in, in danger now because the Romans and the Jews were enough is enough. This guy has too big of a following. And Jesus recognized that this, this train, it started to move and he knew it. So Jesus calls two of his disciples the next day and says, please, go get me a donkey. They're like, what? Go get you a donkey? Like, yeah, go into town and find me a donkey. We, we don't have no money, Jesus. What? Just ask the guy. I just raised someone from the dead. Just go ask the guy for a donkey and say, the Lord sent you. Okay, Jesus. So they go down into Jerusalem and they get, they get a donkey. And they come back like, Jesus, it worked. It worked. And he's like, thank you. And while they were doing that, people heard. They said, you remember, do you remember the Zechariah the prophet? Do you remember he said that, that, that the king, the king to, to usher in the kingdom of God is, he's going to get on a donkey. Jesus just got a donkey. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the new, uh, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches. You see, this is the exact same time that the festival of Passover was. So there's a lot of Jews in this area. A lot of faithful Jews that, that, that would go travel long distances to worship their God at the temple during Passover. So they took palm branches and they went down to the road to meet them. They shouted, praise God, or some of your translations, Hosanna, save us. Save us because this is what's so interesting at this very moment. Something extremely interesting is happening. They recognized that the kingdom of God was getting ushered in right in front of them. Praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising from him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Palm Sunday marked the start of what is often called Passion Week, the final seven days of Jesus' earthly ministry. Palm Sunday was the beginning of the end 
of Jesus' work on earth, and he knew it. Boldness at the highest level. Jesus knows he will be killed, and yet he follows the Father's will. Jesus and all the people there that day knew this one thing. Finally, breakthrough. After 500 years, after 500 years, the kingdom of God is before us. Jesus' life and ministry is a great example of that, especially when he mounted the donkey and began his final journey. I want to step out of our story this morning and just point out that Jesus was a bold individual, a bold individual who followed his father's will. And I want to encourage all of us this week to be bold individuals and continue to follow the father's will. I came up with a few with the other staff of how. How's can we, how's can we, how redneck am I? How can we, that was pretty redneck, yeah? <laughs> How can we be bold and follow the Father's will? So I came up with, with the staff four ways that, that we can stay bold. The first way is this. It's prayer. Amen. It's prayer. Now, some of these things you can be like, well, that seems super simple. But hear this. Prayer in private results in boldness in public. Now, this is a quote from Edwin Cole. Prayer in private results in boldness in public. You see, right after Jesus rode into the temple on the donkey, being praised, Hosanna, Jesus knows very shortly, a week later, that he is going to be dead. He talks about it before all this happens. And the night before he was crucified, he didn't want to be crucified, he didn't want to be tortured. And so he got away from his disciples. He left them. He says, stay here. Watch, watch camp, y'all. And he goes and he gets down on his knees and he prays, God, is there another way? Father, is there another way? And through that prayer, it boldens him and it strengthens him. If we want to be bold, we got to hit our knees, y'all. The second thing I want to point out is the Holy Spirit. Andy Stanley said this. He said, past boldness is no assurance of future boldness. Past boldness is no assurance for future boldness. Boldness demands continual reliance on God's spirit. Continual reliance on the spirit of God. Let's just stick with Jesus, y'all. He, uh, He's like 30. He says, okay, I feel like the Father is telling me it's time to start my ministry. What does Jesus do? I love those bracelets. What would Jesus do? I had one for like two weeks, and then I realized, oh, I'm not even a Christian. Why am I wearing this at the time? They were hot, though, in like 94. <laughs> if you were around, then you know what I'm talking about. Jesus goes to John the Baptist. John's called the Baptist not because he was baptizing a whole bunch of folks it's because he baptized Jesus right when Jesus was baptized Holy Spirit sent it upon him then he started his ministry you see even Jesus even God relied on the Holy Spirit 
If our Savior relies on the Holy Spirit, how much more should we rely on the Holy Spirit? Amen? Ooh, that was a good one. Amen. Come on, y'all. The third one is the Word of God. The Word of God reminds us to be bold. The last few weeks, y'all, we've been learning. We've been learning about Gideon. Now, Gideon was a bold individual, but he followed the Father's will. You remember the story? Some of you might not have been here, but he's like, God was like, I want you to choose like this many, 300. And Gideon's like, wait, I got to fight thousands. And just follow what I'm telling you, man. I'm God. I know this stuff. Gideon's like, all right, I'll do it. Gideon goes on to be successful. Those types of stories, King David, when David was a young boy and he fought Goliath, those types of stories empower us. You know, I tell those stories to like football players all the time and they get rattled up. They're like, yeah, we're strong. We're going to win. Like, no, Kahuku's pretty good, you guys. We might not win this one, but uh, <laughs> give it all we got. actually believe that stories like that though can empower individuals to go on to beat the best football teams and that's why I tell them mindset is it's the vast majority of sports but the word of God is important I had a I had a professor his name was Haddon Robinson Haddon Robinson uh, was telling me a story one time about him earning his PhD at the University of Illinois he said he was looking for someone, uh, another professor, to be his counselor. And he finally found this professor. He was a professor of modern philosophy. Now, he was in the modern philosophy library, which is a smaller library, with one large table. And at the end of the table, the professor was sitting with papers that he was grading out. On one wall was all windows, and on the other wall was all books of modern philosophers. And at the very end of the table, there was an altar Bible. And Haddon said he walked in, and it was, it was just like you would think of an old library, like really nice wood and, and and all these old books that no one ever reads. And then he walks in and he says, hi, professor. You know, my name is Haddon Robinson and, and I'm a PhD candidate here and I need an advisor. He says, well, all right, Haddon, what do you want to teach on? Haddon says, I want to teach on, on the Bible. I want, to, I want to be able to communicate the Bible effectively. And I want to teach people how to communicate the Bible effectively. And this professor sat there for a second and he says, you know, what's, you know what's different from the altar Bible there in, in all these books like Locke and Hume, Nietzsche, and all these guys up here? Haddon gave the typical Christian answer. It's, uh, it's the, the word of God. He said, no, I don't believe that. He said, but this is what I do believe. That this book is alive because it changes people's lives for the better. I honestly believe if we need to be bold and follow the Father's will so that we can see breakthrough in our lives, we have to be in the Word. And the last point is this. Boldness has to have an action. Boldness has to have an action. You see, Jesus himself, let's just stick with Jesus, he went to the well, he prayed for the sick, he fed the hungry, he went to the tomb, and he mounted the donkey, y'all. Action with it. A lot of you have already given me flack this morning. My Michigan State Spartans lost. Okay? I get it. 
okay? We're the best team in the country. We went down to a team that no one here has heard of before. Middle Tennessee. Has anyone ever heard of Middle Tennessee before? Raise a hand. Okay, two people. Three people, maybe. That's what I thought. Dang, nab it. Ah! Middle Tennessee was ranked 15. 15. It's only been, they say it's the biggest upset in NCAA history. Michigan State, the entire game was down. The entire game, we were getting whooped by this unranked, pretty much, team that no one has ever heard of. Now, we're Michigan State. We're the best defense in the country. We have the best player in the country on our team. Why aren't we winning? It's because they were bold. You see, we ended up going home. We should have, we should be like Sweet 16 right now, but we ended up going home and Middle Tennessee moved on. No prayers for you today. <laughs> but could you imagine, could you imagine if they were sitting in the locker room before the game, their uniforms not on yet. And they say, you know what? Pfft, this is Michigan State, y'all. It's Tommy Izzo. They have 100,000 people outside in that stadium right now. There ain't no way we're going to win. Let's not even lace it up. Let's just go home. No, there was action to their boldness. They said, no, we're going to tie our laces. We're going to put on our uniforms, throw on a little deodorant. We're going to get on that court. We're going to do what we need to do. There was action to it. And you know what? They're still in the tournament. We're sitting at home. There has to be action to your boldness. I honestly believe if we do these four things, if we rely on prayer, if we rely on the Holy Spirit, if we rely on the Word of God, and then there's action to it, we will see breakthrough. These things can lead to breakthrough. Maybe in our finances, maybe in our relationships, maybe in our work, or just life itself, but breakthrough will happen. I want to do something with y'all. You all probably sat on a, a card. It said, breakthrough starts with boldness. And it says, my act of boldness this week is dot, dot, dot. That dot, dot, dot is for y'all to fill in. I don't know what your dot, dot, dot is. But I'm asking you to write down a couple things. Maybe just one thing. Maybe it's, you know what, I want to be bold. I want to be bold at work. You know, there's that, there's that, that, that guy that sits in the cubicle next to me. God has been putting it on my heart for a long time just to say hello to him and maybe take him to lunch and get to know him better. Maybe it's time for that. Maybe it's, you know, God's been telling me for the longest time that, that I need to get out of this job. The only reason why I'm in it is because I make so much money. But God's calling me to do something totally different. I know it. I feel it. Maybe that's, that's what you need to write down. It's time for change. Maybe if it's just like a life issue, maybe you're struggling with depression or anxiety or, or just life in general. You know what? This week, this week, I'm going to talk to someone. This week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray about it. I'm going to get into the Word. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek the Holy Spirit. But you know what? I'm going to have some action. I'm going to go talk to someone. Maybe it's Maybe it's with relationships. Maybe some of you are like, man, I can't handle my kids no more, man. These teenagers are crazy. 
Maybe some of you teenagers are like, man, I can't handle my parents no more. They're crazy. You know what? This week, I'm just going to make sure I spend an extra couple hours trying to communicate to my kid. Maybe this week, you know, I'm going to send them a couple text messages, maybe some scripture to them just to encourage them when they're at school. Maybe this week I'm just going to do something special for him. I don't know. But you guys know, you know the areas in your life and I know the areas in my life where I need to write down some things, where I need to be bold. I need to seek prayer. I need to seek the Holy Spirit. I need to seek the Word of God. And then there needs to be action. And I'm encouraging every single person here to write this down, fold this up, put it in your pocket, and put it in your car. You know, like, I have like pictures of the wife and stuff like that that block all my speedometers and everything. Maybe you just put it in there and block everything. See, officer, I got, I was speeding because I was praying for my wife. I couldn't see the speedo. This week, though, is Passion Week. The staff here at the church wants to encourage everyone in this congregation to be bold. Follow the, follow the Father's will so that we can see breakthrough in our lives. Can I get an amen? Come on, church, can I get an amen? Amen. Maybe some of you are in here today. And you know what, you're like, this whole Christian thing is weird to me, but you know what? I kind of like weird. I want to be a part of this kingdom of God. I want to be in a relationship with this guy you call Jesus. Maybe there's some of you in here today that have never, ever taken that step to be in a relationship with the one true God. Maybe God is prompting you today to take that bold step of saying, you know what? I want to be in a relationship with you. If you would like to pray today with me and all the other Christians in here to just be in relationship with God, when I count to three, I want you to raise your hand. If you want to say, you know what? I want to enter into the relationship with God. And and God, I want you to lead me. I want to seek you in prayer. I want the Holy Spirit to come into me. I I, I want to get into your word and, and just try to follow you more. And you know what, God? I want to take some actions. I want this relationship with you. If you have never made that decision to enter into a relationship with God, on the count of three, I want you to be bold, y'all. If you feel like God is prompting you, I would love for you to be bold and just raise your hand on three. Can I get everyone to bow their heads, all the Christians in here, if you could just be praying. Just be praying for the Holy Spirit to move. With all the heads bowed, people praying, if you want to be bold and take that step and follow God and just and enter into relationship, just start it out, enter into relationship. On three, I would love for you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Amen. I see you right there. Does anyone else want to be bold? Amen, amen, amen. I see you guys over there. Let's keep praying for one more second. Maybe two more. Maybe there's some of you in here that said, you know what, I just, I don't feel comfortable raising my hands, but you know what, I want to pray this prayer. And that's great. All the Christians in here and, and, and those who just raised their hand, let's pray. Let's pray this in our hearts. Dear Heavenly Father, We believe, we believe that you are the one true God. We believe that your son Jesus lived the perfect life and he ushered in the kingdom of God.
We believe that he died on the cross for us so that we could have relationship with, with God. We believe, Lord. We believe in your power of the Holy Spirit and we ask now for the Holy Spirit to come upon us. We ask for the Holy Spirit to strengthen us and give us wisdom. Lead us. Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's give a round of applause, y'all.